Good morning, good morning, church. Good morning, church. There we go. You gotta wake up a little bit. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We're gonna worship the Lord together. My name is Mike. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm friends with Nicole and Gabe, and uh, just really excited to uh, to be here and worship God together as one. So um, let's let's just take one quick moment and let's pray together so that we all are kind of on the same page and ready to worship God as a family. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this moment and we just ask that you would humble us, that you would you would give us room in our hearts and our minds to actually learn from you, to learn from your word and, and to have softened hearts and teachable minds. We need you, Father. We need your guidance and, uh, and we are grateful, grateful that you welcome us into your home, into your house, and that you give us a seat at your table. Wretches like us that we get to sit with you and, and talk with you and be loved and lavished with love. We thank you, Father, and it's in your son's name that we get to pray this, and we get to sing, and we get to be here this morning. It's in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
chapter 13 it says if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love I am nothing if I can give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God is love. That's who we're worshiping today, and that's who we're trying to emulate. Think about that as we sing today.
beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch's treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen sons to glory Shoulders, a shame. 
Thank you, thank you, Father, that we know with confidence that it is finished, that you finished a work that we cannot. Thank you. Amen. As you remain in an attitude of prayer and in a posture of worship, I invite you to either be seated or to take a position that is comfortable for a moment of prayer. If that's here at the altars, they are always open, but please remain in a posture of worship and openness before the Lord. God, we are grateful this morning as these songs have reminded us of your great love for us. God, it is a love that is so great, truly is deep. And God, we could never begin. I'm convinced that as much as we think we know about your love and as much as we experience and as much as it humbles us, I'm also convinced that that barely even scratches the surface of just how great your love for us is. God, I'm overwhelmed by that thought this morning. God, may we be overwhelmed as we contemplate and consider the depth of your love for us. God, would you just help each person in this room, each person that may be watching in online from home this morning, God, would you meet them right where they are, right in this moment? And God, would you just give them a glimpse Help them to see a glimpse of your love for them. God, there are so many things that happen. There are so many things that we experience that, that cause us to feel unlovable. God, we believe the lie that we are not lovable. But God, this morning you meet us where we are. And you overwhelm us with your love. Lord, we just sit in that truth for a moment. God, we thank you that you put skin on that love. And that in the life of Jesus was demonstrated a love that one could not fathom. We see, Lord, in your word, we see how Jesus lived and how he loved. And God, it's, it's a reality. It's, it's you in the flesh showing us just how far you're willing to go so that we recognize your love for us. And so we thank you, King Jesus. <clears throat> We thank you that you laid down your life 
in love so that we might find life in you. Jesus, you have shown us what it looks like to love. But before we can even begin to love like you love, we must first accept and embrace that we are loved. And that we cannot leave this place, we cannot go out into the world, we cannot seek to love until we have first accepted that we are loved. And so, Lord Jesus, we don't rush past that this morning. We pause. And we, we soak up that truth once again. That you gave your life for me, for us, in love. And Holy Spirit, We know that you are here. You are present in this place. You are present in us this morning. You comfort us and you remind us of the truth of the Father and of the Son. And when doubt creeps in, when lies begin to take shape, You remind us that you are with us and that we are loved. And then you go before us and you empower us to be able to go out into the world and to demonstrate that love, to show the world that they are loved. And it's not, we cannot even begin to attempt to show love without you guiding us and empowering us. So God, we just pray that you would continue to speak to us this morning. God, we pray for those who are not able to be here with us this morning. God, we know that there are so many that are are dealing with sickness. God, we remember those this morning who are sick, who are in pain, who are waiting for answers, Lord. God, would you be with them? Lord, would you comfort them this morning? Would you give them strength, give them peace? God, we pray for healing. We pray for rest and recovery. Lord, we love you. We love you, and we are once again grateful. We're grateful for your love for us. We love you, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Can we just um, really quickly just share our thanks and appreciation for our worship team? Would you just thank them? Um, I'm always grateful for them, and I could stand to say it every single week because I feel it every single week, but I'm just grateful, and 
Nikki, you just wait. You just wait to see how well that call to worship matches this sermon today. And it's just incredible because we haven't even talked about it. But I just love the way the Lord works in and through this team. And we just thank you, Mike, for, for joining us today. Mike is joining us to, to just uh, be with Nikki. And, and, the, and the praise team is implementing some new things. And, and they did so great. And I'm just so thankful for their hard work. You don't even know. It's because I'm married to a member of the praise team that I have an idea of just how much they put into what they do here, and I just think that needs to be noticed this morning. So thank them later when you have a chance, okay? Well, last week was Pentecost Sunday. It was a great day in the house of the Lord, and today uh, today is a moment where we get to sit in, in the truth of Pentecost and in the joy and celebration of Pentecost just a little bit longer. Because one of the beautiful things about the rhythms of the Christian calendar that I tend to follow, now last week we talked about how Pentecost is on the Christian calendar, but it was on the Jewish calendar long before it was on our more modern Christian calendar. But, the, but, but Trinity Sunday on the Christian calendar, it tends to fall the Sunday following Pentecost, and I just love that. I love that because it's an intentional moment for us to pause and to recognize exactly what it is that we just celebrated on Pentecost Sunday. I think it's really easy to celebrate Pentecost and celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then we tend to just kind of rush on out of that and on to the next thing. And we might pause a few times a year and, and really pay attention to the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. But what I noticed in the Trinity Sunday passages is that we are encouraged to slow down and really notice just the incredible gift we have been given in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 16 for our main passage but I am going to challenge you, those of you who have your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, I'm just going to challenge you to open them up. There was a day, and we don't do that too, too much today, but there was a day when everyone would open up their Bibles together and you'd hear the flipping of pages, right? Maybe we could get some of that going today. <laughs> Maybe we could just actually open up our Bibles, turn to John 16, but get ready because we're actually going to be looking at this passage in the context of Jesus' farewell or final discourse, which takes place in John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. And I already know what you're thinking. Oh my goodness, we should have made those reservations for 1230. But we're not going to, just bear with me. It's going to be a lot, but it's not going to be that much, okay? Just bear with me. But I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able to as we read John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Here's what Jesus is saying. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me 
what he will make known to you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. That might not seem like a loaded passage, but it, it really is. It probably does seem like that because it really is a loaded passage. And as I was, um, as I was studying this passage this week and as I was thinking about it and, and just praying for direction on where we are to go with this passage, I absolutely could not uh, make sense or properly communicate what is being spoken in this passage. And of course, that's as much as I can, right? Because we can only come to understand uh, the triune God as much as we can. There's so much more that we will not understand. There's so much that we can't comprehend. So as much as we can, I wasn't able to properly do that without considering this in the light of, of Jesus' final, some people call it final discourse, some people call it his farewell discourse, but it takes place in John 13 through 17, as I said. And, and I just thought, you know, it's worth it to slow down and really consider this in light of that entire discourse. Because this, I have found anyways, I have found that this right here, what we just read in this moment in Jesus' ministry, this is a pivotal significant moment in John's gospel. And I'm going to kind of explain to you why. But this is a moment that, that I think we, the church, we ought to really pause and pay attention. I know I ask you to pause a lot. You're, you, you just probably get tired of that. But we can rush through these things really missing the depth of, of what we have here. And friends, I just was thankful this morning or this week, I was thankful for John and his recording of, of Jesus' final discourse. I was just thankful to John. I was just so grateful that we have this record because it's a gift to the church that John would sit down and write these things out as, as he remembered them. It's a gift that we have this record, and sometimes I think we take that for granted. And so my prayer for us as we kind of walk through this farewell or final discourse, my prayer is that we would receive all of this in a fresh way this morning. Pretend like it's the first time. For some of you, maybe it is, and I envy you because there's something exciting about that. But just pretend like it's the first time this morning. Really receive it in a new and fresh way. So we go back to John 13. To, to get where we were just now in John 15 with what we just read, we got to kind of back up a little bit, okay? We're going to back up a little bit and really understand what exactly Jesus was saying here. Again, the best that we can. But in John 13, at the very beginning, I love how John says it. He says, Jesus knew, of course, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. He, he loved them to the end. And he is about to show them just a glimpse. I mean, we haven't seen it yet as, as of where we are in this moment, right? They're, they're on their way. Jesus is on his way to the cross. And so they haven't even seen the full extent just yet. But they are about to get a glimpse of Jesus' radical love for them. And we looked at this moment during Lent, so we're not going to stay here very long, but it's, it's worth mentioning again. We, we paused and we looked at this moment during Lent, 
where we, where we read this passage where Jesus demonstrates his love. John explains the love Jesus has for his disciples, right? And he's about to show them what that love looks like. He's about to give them a glimpse. And, and so it's in this moment that Jesus demonstrates this love, and you need to understand in a radical, upside-down, counter-cultural, unexpected way. You know, right? He takes the posture of a servant. And he gets down on the, if it wasn't so hard to get down and get back up gracefully, I would do it, but he gets down on the dirty, dusty floor. And he picks up the dirty, dusty feet of his disciples and he begins to wash them. The posture of a servant. He wraps the towel around his waist, the whole thing. And he, and he loves his disciples, and he demonstrates that in this unthinkable, unimaginable kind of way, so much so that Peter can hardly stand it, right? Peter can hardly stand that Jesus is about to wash his feet, knowing who Jesus is the best that he can, understanding Jesus and, and knowing who he is. He cannot fathom that Jesus would actually do what he's about to do, and yet Jesus would have it no other way. Because a Jesus-infused love, best seen in Jesus himself, it makes you do crazy, unexpected things in the good, in the best way, right? It makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do, or at least Jesus would normally do it, but you wouldn't expect it. And then Jesus asks this question. Jesus, he washes the feet of his disciples And then he asks them a very pointed question. It's an important question where he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Again, don't rush past that. Jesus says, do you really understand what I've just done for you? And and man, I just wonder, this is kind of unrelated, but I just wonder if we consider this often enough, church. Do we ask this question enough do we really take the time to, to slow down and, and, and let it sink in just what Jesus has done for us? Because if we do, and when we do, like, to be honest, as I was thinking about this this week, I don't know how we're not constantly undone in the presence of God when we contemplate what it is he's done for us. Right? Like that song said, we won't be quiet. Like, how can we be quiet when we pause and consider all that Jesus has done for us? And if we have no problem being quiet and we can't even be bothered to like fully worship God in our hearts and in our minds, however that looks like for us, then then we need to slow down and ask this question a little bit more. (laughs) Because I think if we did, We would just be undone in the presence of God. But anyways, that's another sermon for another time. That's just a preview. But Jesus asks, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? I didn't just do this. He says, now that I, your Lord, we're in John chapter 13, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example And you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. What Jesus is communicating to his disciples, and it's something that is for us as well. 
He is saying, I have plainly shown you right here, right now, what you are to do and how you are to live and how you are to love one another. What I have done, you now go and do. And this doesn't always take the form of washing one another's feet. And I know so many of you are just so stinking grateful that that's not what it looks like for us. But how often do we avoid doing the things that might be the equivalent of washing someone else's feet, right? How often do we avoid just doing those things that no one wants to do, whether it has anything to do with feet or not? And we're going to be done talking about feet on a Sunday morning. But Jesus gives this clear and direct command. Are we listening? Are you listening? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Do you see what's happening? Because it's very intentional. Jesus gives this clear and direct command. He goes on and he says to his disciples who are just about to get really confused and a little panicky maybe, but he says, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. But then he goes on and he says, but a new command I give you, love one another. By this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is intentional. This is setting the trajectory. This is how we ought to live. This is highly important. Jesus says this is how the world, the entire world, the future of humanity, this is how they will know that you are mine and that you belong to me. Love one another. This is how the world will see that you're different. They're going to see that you're not like everyone else. They should see that you stand out that you are consecrated, love one another. This is how the world will see that you're not just another person passing through, just trying to make it by and get by day to day, but that you are working for the kingdom of God to be seen and known and experienced, love one another. This is how the world will see me in the midst of darkness. This is how the world will see light breaking in, love one another. This is how the world will see light in the constant darkness, chaos, division, hatred, love one another. This is not a new command, right? Jesus says that to his disciples, but we kind of step back for a moment and we we think, but wait, this isn't a new command. We know that this is the instruction of God. This is the word of God for God's people. It always has been. We go back to Leviticus chapter 19 when, when God says, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But we know what Jesus is saying because in this moment, Jesus has revealed in a new way that this is what it looks like to love and serve and live as God's people. This is how the world will know. So it, we should pause here and ask the question already, do they know? Does the world know? Don't answer quickly. Really think about it. Does the world know? We move on to John 14, and this is where it's really relatable 
Confusion begins to set in, maybe a little bit of panic as the disciples scramble to make sense of some of the things Jesus is saying, not only about necessarily what it looks like to love as he is loved, but I have a feeling that they really held on to those words, like, where I'm going, you cannot come. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Say what? What? What do you mean? Right? And you kind of begin to see that. Thomas says, Lord, I, I imagine this just panicky, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? It's like if someone tries to tell me how to get somewhere, like immediate panic, because I'm like, I'm not gonna know, I'm not gonna know where to go. You don't understand. I really don't know how to follow directions. So thank the Lord for smartphones and maps on those smartphones that most of the time get you where you but I understand it, right? It's like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know how to get there? And this is where Jesus answered, and we love to quote this. This is a well-known passage that we quote often in 14.6 when he says, I am the way. Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We love to quote that, but remember the context, right? Jesus is saying, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. It's like, Thomas, look at me and you will see and know the way to the Father. This is a, a beautiful moment, a complex moment where we really begin to see the, the mysteries and the complexities of the Trinity, right? Where we, where we really start to pull from our understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. If we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. He is the way to the Father. And so this teaching should bring clarity and explanation, but it also kind of brings more confusion because then there's Philip and he's like, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Like, just give us a glimpse, right? Just give us a glimpse. And Jesus gives him a much more detailed response, but for the sake of time, Jesus basically says, listen, Philip, believe me when I say, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least, at the very least, Philip, remember the evidences. Remember what you have seen. Jesus is pointing back to the miracles and the moments of, 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 of God meeting that person in need through Jesus. That was God. That was God, Philip, remember. And so Jesus is trying to bring it all together. And as I, I sit with that for a moment, it seems to me that in this moment, assuming you're still with me, in this moment, it seems to me that Jesus wants his disciples to understand that for the longest time, God's people have understood God in a very specific and, and peculiar and particular kind of way. Maybe not peculiar. Particular is the word I was looking for there. And, and, and they've understand him, understood him in a, in a certain way, and they've communicated his commands to other people in a particular, maybe that's more of a peculiar kind of way. They've added to the commands, and they've made it this incredibly uh, weighty burden that most people can't actually carry. And so Jesus, who has, he's saying time and time again, over and over, I am from God. The Father is in me. And now I'm showing you this is what God's love looks like. And this is what it looks like to love others as God loves them. And this is the best way to understand God's love and to demonstrate God's love by taking the position of a servant, wrapping a towel around your waist, getting down on the dirty floor and washing dirty 
feet because that's what God does. He kneels down to lift us up. He gets down on the dirty floor into this mess and this muck and he rescues us with his overwhelming, reckless love, ultimately laying down his life so that we might find full life in him. This is the love that God demonstrates in Jesus, and this is how we have been called to love. Understanding that we will not go the lengths that God has gone, right? No one could. God's measure of love is far greater, but this is what we are to seek. This is what we are to live out the best that we can. I really like Francis Chan, how he puts it. It's, it's challenging, and it's not like the tickle your ear kind of a, of a message, but this is what he says. He says, the truth is that the spirit of the living God is guaranteed to ask you to go somewhere or do something you wouldn't normally want or choose to do, like washing someone's feet, right? The spirit will lead you to the way of the cross as he led Jesus to the cross. And that is definitely not safe or pretty or a comfortable place to be. The Holy Spirit of God will mold you into the person you were made to be. And this often incredibly painful process, sounds fun, strips you of selfishness, pride, and fear. Is it so with us? Is that so with us? Is that, what's, is that what is happening in us? Are you still with me? It's a lot. So Jesus has tried to explain to the disciples, listen, I am the way to the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet, you just have to love that in the same breath, he also says, by the way, I'm leaving. <laughs> and so I just imagine that from the disciples' standpoint where they're like, wait, you're the way, but now you're leaving? Like, I imagine that there were so many questions, like, why are you leaving? Where are you going? How long will you be gone? When will you get back? What time can we be ready for you to come back? And how will we know? How will we know what to do, Jesus? If you're leaving, how are we going to know how to live and, and what to do? We've been following you every moment of every day for the past three years. What do we do now? And Jesus, knowing, knowing fully well that they are wrestling with these things, he then says to them, we're in John 14 now, and he says to them, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth. And he, he points out something that we know and understand Right? The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. We know those people, right? We know those who don't see the Holy Spirit, who don't accept the Holy Spirit. They don't know him. But you know him. Jesus says, but, there's where that word comes in again. It changes everything. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before too long, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will still see me. You will see me because I live, you also will live. 
And on that day, I love, he's looking ahead. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Do you see the doctrine that we understand that's being explained in this moment? Jesus is the revelation of the Father. And he is telling the disciples that now one is coming, one has come, thanks be to God, one has come, that is the revelation of Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals the love of Jesus and he lives in us and he guides us in all truth and wisdom and power. Scholar Robert Mount says it like this, the Spirit would continue the revelatory work of Jesus. He would bring to the disciples a fuller understanding and appreciation of what Jesus had already made known. Jesus is telling them, I know that you're afraid. I know that you're overwhelmed that I'm leaving. I know that that you don't really know what's going to happen and what's ahead. But I, I am assuring you that you will not be alone. And that this is how you are to live. And if we pause and think about that for a moment, this is a tall order, it seems anyways, to us, that this is kind of a tall order that Jesus has just given, right? Go out into the messy, broken, chaotic, uh, hateful, divided world and love in this way. And the reason I say that that can feel a little overwhelming and like a tall order sometimes is because you and I live in this world, and you and I know how difficult this is. Can we just stop and acknowledge that for a moment? That it's difficult to both give and receive this kind of love. Amen? It's difficult. And it's really painful if we... Some of you who aren't normally here, I apologize because you're just going to feel like, wow, I'm glad I don't have to go back there next week because she makes me feel really bad. But I think that we should stop and acknowledge that what Jesus has instructed the church to do, we have not always done. That might come as a shock to some of you, but we've not always done this well. And some people, and I have heard people, people share this with me. And I've heard stories, I've, I've intentionally tried to listen to stories that remind me that this happens, that some people experience their worst pain at the hands of Christians. Their worst pain. And people in my generation It is becoming increasingly difficult to find people my age who still go to church and believe in this Jesus because the people who were supposed to show them this Jesus, they lost. They lost it along the way. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or terrible. I'm just trying to say that we don't always do this well. And sure, I, I get it. I know what you like, Pastor Nicole, are you seriously suggesting that we're to be perfect? That we're never gonna hurt each other? That we're never gonna mess up and make mistakes and, and cause others pain? Of course I'm not suggesting that we're gonna be perfect. And of course I understand that some people have 
evil and wrong intentions from the very beginning, and they might disguise themselves to look like something they're not to cause someone else pain. I understand that. But then other times, a lot of times, people believe that they are living in this truth and in this love, and, in, and it looks nothing like what it ought to look like. Are you with me? And I just don't think we're doing ourselves any favors by pretending that we always do this well or pretending that we haven't been hurt or pretending that it's so easy because then I think we will miss what Jesus is saying. And what he's saying is this will not be possible unless the Holy Spirit is in you and is guiding you. And sometimes that just looks like us opening ourselves up to God and saying, you know what, God, maybe I need you to to show me what this looks like in this moment because I may have messed it up. And we, we must always assume a posture of humility, recognizing that we will get this wrong. We will mess up at times. But will will we know it when we do? I don't know if I'm communicating what I'm trying to say clearly. See, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit of God living in us, if we are not constantly seeking him, this is where James really gets it right when he says, be slow to speak and be slow to become angry and watch out for that tongue because it it hurts people. It's okay to to take a beat before you respond to someone or say something to someone. That's okay. It's welcomed. It's encouraged because we do damage if we are not constantly broken and undone and desperate for the guidance of the Holy Spirit to speak in us and through us. And I think Jesus knew how difficult this would be. And so he tells them, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you these things, and he will remind you of everything I've said, because we forget, or we make it into our own teaching. He will remind you, and he will teach you. And then Jesus says, don't worry, peace. I'm going to leave you with my peace. I don't give you as the world gives you. And I know he senses it. He senses, wow, this is going to be really difficult. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. And so then that brings us to the passage that we read earlier where he says, see, it's in light. Do you see why that's important to recognize it in the light of all of of that discourse? Because then he says, I have so much more to say to you. And you're like, oh my, really? (laughs) I have so much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. He is very sensitive to how everyone feels, I can just tell. But when he, Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And he will speak, not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And then Jesus says a lot of other things that I don't have time to cover today, but don't look past it, read it, familiarize yourself with it, re-familiarize yourself with it. And then we get to John 17, where, which we kind of transition into Jesus, this is what we call his high priestly prayer. This is like moments 
before he is coming to be arrested and to be taken away. Moments. And this is where he shares what is on his heart. Not just for the disciples, for the disciples, but for us. Jesus prayed for us. Because he knew. He knew it would be difficult. He knew. I know I know that Jesus had to have hope, but he had to also know how difficult this would be. He had to have known that we will hurt each other. He had to have known that we will fail one another. He had to have known, and he had to be grieving already the possibility that the church could do more damage and cause more hurt than any other group of people. Maybe maybe he was already grieving those tragedies and injustices that would be done in the name of the church Maybe his heart in this moment is broken and yet hopeful as he prays for God to be with us. And it's worth saying again this morning, church, it is only possible through the love of the Father demonstrated in the life of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit to live the way we've been called to live. without the active, constant surrendering to the Holy Spirit who has been given to us and who is active, we cannot and will not be the church and the people we have been called to be living and loving in the name of Jesus, bringing about the kingdom of God. Do you see why we need the Holy Spirit, which we celebrated on Pentecost Sunday? We cannot get down on a dirty, dusty floor without the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot possibly imagine how we could and insert, you know, whatever the real thing is here, wash dirty feet, without the active, moving presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot, it is not in our nature to kneel down and lift others up without the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot love radically in the name of Jesus without the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think I've made my point. Moving on. Jesus says, finally, I love this, at the end of John 17. He says, I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Speaking to God. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then, and only then, the world will know that you have sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. This is what we're called to do. And I know, church, it is heavy and it's difficult but I have so much hope because Jesus is telling us, and I take him at his word, that he is in us and that the gates of hell, while they will try, they will not prevail. So I'm going to invite the, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up. But some of you are like, that doesn't mean anything. She still goes on and on after they've already been up there for like 10 minutes. But I'm going to invite them to come. And I want to share this picture again. This, well, it's a picture of a painting that I shared with you last year on Trinity Sunday. This picture has been hanging on my fridge since last year because I never want to forget it. 
I never want to forget this picture because it so beautifully, in my opinion, depicts the Holy Trinity. I shared this with you last year, this painting by, by artist Andre Rublev. And what I pointed out to you last year, I, I, I challenged you to notice the meal that is taking place here. Like there's a bowl in the center of this table. And so the Holy Trinity is sharing in this meal together, right? It's a community. It's a holy community. And I shared with you that, that I was reading through a book by Richard Rohr called The Divine Dance, and a lot of it is, is problematic for a lot of people. I already acknowledge that. But what I love about this book is that ultimately what Richard Rohr is arguing and saying is that, that this is a divine dance and that we've been invited to participate, even Nazarenes who didn't used to dance. We, we got the invitation when they found out that we were maybe dancing again or something. We've been invited into this Holy Trinity. Well, this year, I was so thankful that this year I heard it in a completely different way. That the Trinity is like a party. Because while they certainly share in this holy meal together, Father, Son, and Spirit, you know they're having the time of their lives whatever that means, <laughs> right? Like this is a joyful community that's not dead and just sitting there like a bunch of boring people. But this is a, a, this is a life-giving community. You know they're having, there's joy that is, is experienced and there's joy that is palpable. And so I like how some say the Trinity is like a party. It's like a party and we've been invited we have no business being there. It's like when someone gives you an invitation to come to a, an event or a party that you're like, wow, these are so not my people and I so have no business being here and yet here I find myself in this circle of people. And I like how Sky Jatani puts it. See, I know, I told you guys. I like how Sky Jatani puts it. He said, this trinity is a party of love and joy and peace and goodness and creativity and power and glory that had no beginning and will have no end. And to be clear, he says, the party was not thrown for us, nor is it waiting for our arrival. We have no right to be there. And still you and I, you and I have been invited to join it. Not because we deserve it, not because we earned our invitation, but because a long time ago, the Father sent the Son to reveal the true nature of this everlasting party to us, and then he died so that our sin would not prevent us from joining it. Because of the Son's obedience and faithfulness, the Father raised him from the dead through the power of the Spirit. And when we put our faith in him, we too can be filled with the Spirit, raised from death to life, and join the Father, Son, and Spirit in this party that will never end. This is whose name we praise, which we're going to sing about in just a moment. You see how it's all too easy to just move on from Pentecost and like move on to the next thing, but no. Don't move on. Don't rush past this. Church, are we the church Jesus prayed we would be? Do we recognize how much we need the Holy Spirit as we seek to be those who love and live the way Jesus does? 
church, my prayer is that we would continue to be open to the Holy Spirit, completely surrendered, as this is the only way we will be able to live as Jesus has laid out in this final discourse. So would you pray with me? God, we are before you this morning and we are prepared to praise the name of the one who is the almighty, the everlasting, the beginning and the end, the one who laid down his life so that we would find ours. God, first and foremost, may that not, God, may we not be able to just stand and acknowledge that, but God, may that fill, overwhelm our hearts with joy. God, may we not be able to be quiet as we acknowledge all that you are the best that we can and acknowledge that that you didn't stop there, that you invited us to join in and participate in this holy community. I in you and you in me, that they would be in me as I am in you. We've been invited. So God, may we acknowledge that and, and fully give you the praise that is due to you this morning without holding back. But God, also, God, we recognize that that this is messy. And not only have each one of us in here, we've all missed it. We've all hurt someone. And we have all received, been on the receiving end of that hurt. But God, we know that you can restore and redeem all things. And that you are not stopping. And so God, this morning we praise the name of the one who reconciles. We praise the one who unites us. We praise the one who who enables us to forgive hurts. We praise the one who helps us to love in this way. We praise the one who works in the midst of our brokenness. We praise the one who kneels down to wash our dirty feet. Lord, would you speak to us, guide us, and correct us, and help us to see you and your Holy Spirit at work among us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can stand with us as we sing this song. Just take a moment to fix our eyes on Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Let's just acknowledge that our temptation as humans when we hear something like this, is to think about the ways that maybe others haven't loved us well. I noticed that in myself, and I just want us to take a moment to acknowledge that struggle, that temptation, and to intentionally ask the Holy Spirit to show us ways that we're not loving others well. And that even as much as we've been hurt, that it's Like Pastor Nicole said, the miracle of the Holy Spirit that allows us to love others, not because they deserve it, not because they've loved us, but because he loved us. And take this moment to really think about the words that we're singing, the God that we serve, to fix our eyes on him, to think about the cross, because we cannot love, like she said, unless we have received love. 
and we only receive perfect love from him. So let's not look to each other for that. Let's ask God to show us his love so that we can receive, so that we can be filled with the love of God. Amen. Let's sing this morning.
God, we pray this morning that even as we leave here and even as we move past this moment, God, that this wouldn't just be a a temporary high, that this wouldn't just be all the feels for the sake of feeling so that we can feel like when we leave this place that, oh, we went to church this morning and, oh, it was so great and, oh, I feel so good, but tomorrow morning, don't you get in my way. God, may we be just as broken and undone before you tomorrow morning as we are in this moment. Would would we be so desperate for you to fill us and go before us and, and move among us? Would we be just as desperate for that tomorrow as we are here and now? God, would you just give us this imagination God, help us to believe that this is not some pie-in-the-sky kind of dream, that this can be reality, that the church can be the shining light of the world, and that nothing, nothing can, can hide that light, and the darkness will certainly not overcome it. God, if we say we believe it, give us the power to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know. Sometimes the transition from that to the next is hard because we're just built to move on along, right? But I'll just tell you, I sat with this all week long. And just this morning, I told Karen, I was like, I still need to cut some of this out because there's so much here. And so I wrestled with it all week long, and it just, I just sat with it all week long. So, so this has been on my heart all week and even longer. And so my prayer is that you would hear this this morning and don't just hear doom and gloom and negativity and, oh, I feel so bad, but... What's on my heart is that we would simply acknowledge when we fail to be this kind of people and that we would go forward seeking to be this kind of people. That's what's on my heart this morning. And so I pray that we would leave this place with that on our hearts and in our minds. And so with that, I want to share a few quick announcements for you, with you, and then we will be dismissed. Um, this month for Operation Christmas Child, you all know that we are collecting each month uh, leading up till about November for those boxes. And if you have questions about that, you can see us and let us know. Uh, but this month, uh, for the month of June, we are collecting little stuffed animals, uh, like beanie baby size and four to six inch, um, I guess that's for the Beanie Babies, I don't really know, and then like the little Matchbox or uh, Hot Wheels cars. So that's what we're collecting this month for those boxes, and that, that um, bucket, it, that box is out in the foyer. Lots of boxes going on here, but that tub is out in the foyer for you to drop those off if you purchase those. Uh, you guys really showed up and showed out for the month of May. We were spilling over, so let's keep that going, right? Let's don't stop. Keep that going. Uh, we really appreciate that. The summer launch program will also be this coming Tuesday. We will meet at the church. We'll meet here at 1130 to pack and deliver those lunches. If you'd like to join us and participate, you are welcome. 
Uh, men's breakfast is going to be Saturday, June 18th here at the church at 8 a.m. That'll be over in the kitchen fellowship hall area. And then finally, lunch bunch this month is going to be meeting Wednesday, June 29th at Eckert's, and that will be at noon. So mark your calendars, put all those things down so that you don't miss anything if you're able to come. And um, at this time, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to ask you to receive this benediction with open hearts and open hands this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may you go in the peace and love of our Lord and Savior. Would you go filled with the Holy Spirit, open to what he is saying to you and doing through you, and would you love others as you have been loved by Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are dismissed. Have a beautiful day.